Good morning, USA in Toronto. Yo, 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 Good morning, DJ Envy. Charlemagne the God. Peace to the planet. It's Thursday. Yes, it's Thursday. I hear you scratching. What you mean? I hear you scratching. I ain't stretching. What are you talking about? Oh, I thought I heard you scratching. Me what and you kinky thoughts are you having this one? It's too maybe, early. Good. I maybe I'm. I, I, maybe I'm just projecting on you. That's I don't. Don't project I, anything I, on me. I'm definitely Please. tired. Zoom is very exhausting, bro. It is. If you gotta, if you gotta be on Zoom for the majority of your day, it is very, very, very exhausting. And for whatever reason, um, you know, your people think that being that it's on Zoom, you can do more. Right. <laughs> so it'll be a lot of stuff on your schedule. Zoom is exhausting. I'm tired of Zoom, bro. I need some human interaction when it comes to these uh, meetings and interviews and whatever else. Yeah, I've been, I've been doing a lot of Zoom calls. Uh, what I've been doing now recently, I ain't even going to front. I've been doing it on my phone and just being like my video doesn't work. So I could just do it as like a, just a conference call. I've been doing that a couple times. Hilarious. A couple times. But oh, why don't you want to be seen? Um, Sometimes I got other things to do. And when you do a Zoom call, you just got to really be sitting down in, into the Zoom call. But I like to multitask. So there's a million and one things. I got five kids. There's a lot of things going on. So sometimes I just put it on the phone and, and keep it moving like that. That. that- that is true. You do a lot of these Zoom meetings. People be doing be doing a lot of other stuff. They be cooking, mm-hmm. cleaning, and like people be trying to do two and three things at once when they on the Zoom. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know. If they well, yesterday I went out these meetings, and I was walking around in Brooklyn. I was like, let me get out of the house again and go for a little walk. There were a lot of um, very peaceful protests here in Brooklyn yesterday. So, and today they are actually going to be. Oh, your mic. Sorry, fell. my mic fell. And today they're actually going to be having a memorial service for George Floyd in Brooklyn at Cadman Plaza okay. at 1 well, o'clock. Well, the three office, three other officers were uh, charged yesterday. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, the charges were, what, aiding and abetting to murder? Was that what... Yep. Is that what it's Second degree, were? yeah, aiding and abetting to second degree murder because they also up um, Chauvin's charges to second degree instead of third degree Right. Murder. I don't know what that means. But Me that's why we got attorney Ben Crump calling in this morning. That's right. I attorney. Know, I don't know exactly what any of that means. That's right. Attorney Benjamin Crump other, will be checking um, in. Hmm? Yeah, because I would think that the other three officers who were, I think it was two other officers, were kneeling, were kneeling on him as well, like on his lower right. extremities, like his back and stuff like that. So I would think right. that, you know, being that they physically were on him, you know, they would be charged with something a little, a little stronger than aiding and abetting. But hey, what do I know? Maybe That's those right. Charges are the charges that'll stick. Who knows? Yeah, and then yesterday I, I think they had the uh, the mug shots of, of all four officers. Well, the other three were released yesterday, mm-hmm. and people were asking, was the the la- one of the officers uh, black or African American? Was he a minority? Do we know? 
They did not give the ethnicities. I didn't see that anywhere. Mm-hmm. They? One of them is definitely Asian, right? No, we know one. Well, you we know can one look at Asian. that and see that, but they're saying but for one of them, one. they can't tell. Mm-hmm. They can't tell, yeah. There oh, was some okay, people okay. saying he was Asian, some people saying he was black, some people saying he was Latino. They they were trying to get to, you know, find, find that out. But anyway, we have attorney Benjamin Crump. He'll be checking in. He'll be breaking down the charges because I have no idea what those charges mean and, and how much time those officers could really get. And we also have Reverend Dr. William Barber. He'll be checking in as That's well. That's right. Absolutely. All right, so you will so learn get, something on today's show. You definitely will. All right, well, let's get the show cracking. Front page news, what are we talking about? Well, I guess um, we were going to be talking about George Floyd, but maybe we should save that for Ben Crump because we just kind of gave all of that. So let's talk about these other officers, six Atlanta officers, who were charged in the arrest of the college students that they dragged from the car and hit with stun guns. <sighs> all right, we'll get into that next. Keep it locked. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. It's DJ NV, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Let's get in some front page news. Where are we starting, Yee? Well, yesterday, Barack Obama had a virtual town hall. It was sponsored by my Brother's Keeper Alliance. And he partners with that with his Obama Foundation. We've all done a lot of different things with my Brother's Keeper. And here is what Barack Obama had to say about young people and how much they inspire him. Part of what's made me so hopeful is the fact that so many young people have been galvanized and activated. Because historically... So much of the progress that we've made in our society has been because of young people. Dr. King was a young man when he got involved. Cesar Chavez was a young man. Malcolm X was a young man. And so when sometimes I feel despair, I just see what's happening with young people all across the country, and it makes me feel optimistic. Uh, It makes me feel as if this country is going to get better. That's right. When Barack Obama was... Is that? No, I, I, I'm gonna say that's right because if the kids didn't care, then that would that would be a problem. Like, if imagine you know all of this happened and the kids didn't have a reaction to it. Imagine if nobody had a reaction to it. Ima- imagine if everybody just went on about their day after something like this. Then you would be right. like, damn, does America have a pulse? At least you know it's a lie. When Barack Obama was in office, though, he did roll out a number of policies to help curb those incidents of police brutality, like he created a task force. With guidelines on 21st century policing, he also limited the transfer of military equipment to police departments, but Donald Trump's administration did roll back some of those reforms. Now, in addition to that, Barack Obama talked about a change in mindset and how we have to keep the momentum going. There is a change in mindset that's taking place, a greater recognition that we can do better. That's a direct result of the activities and organizing and mobilization and engagement uh, of so many young people. And so I just have to say thank you to them. Just make sure that we now follow through because at some point, attention moves away. In addition to that, he also gave three ways that you can make change. Number one, we know there are specific evidence-based reforms that if we put in place today would build trust, save lives. Those are included in the 21st Century Policing Task Force report. You can find it on Obama.org. Number two, a lot of mayors and local elected officials read and supported the task force report, but then there wasn't enough follow through. So today I am urging every mayor to review your use of force policies with members of your community and commit to report on planned reforms. Number three, every city in this country should be a My Brother's Keeper community because we have 250 cities, counties, tribal nations, who are working to reduce the barriers and expand opportunity for boys and young men of color. 
through programs and policy reforms and public-private partnerships. So go to our website, get working. Mm-hmm. And number All four right, is so. change is we have to dismantle the mechanism of white supremacy. And the, and the people who benefit from white supremacy have to be able to relinquish some of that power and privilege. Until that happens, it's going to continue to be oppression. You just can't get right, man. Usually your mic is too loud. Today is too low, bro. I can barely hear you. It's not me. I can hear they gotta, him. They got to they gotta figure this out. There you go. You sound I don't better. know what else to do. I ain't right. do nothing. <laughs> oh, it sounded like you turned it up. It yes. got loud. Enough. Or maybe they turned it up in the, in the studio. All, All right. right. Mm. And the six Atlanta police officers have been booked uh, after charges were filed against him. That was in Atlanta. They were filmed, as you know, breaking the windows of a vehicle, and they yanked uh, Spelman College and Morehouse College students out of the car. 22-year-old Messiah Young was dragged from the vehicle, and his girlfriend, 20-year-old Tania Pilgrim, was also dragged from her vehicle. Uh, now, they did try to press charges against Young. He was charged with attempting to elude the officers and Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottom said she's ordering that his charges are dropped and body camera video shows that they also took another young man into custody in a downtown and on a downtown street alongside a line of stop cars as well. He was pleading with police to let him go saying that he didn't do anything. So uh, they are happy that these officers are being held accountable for their actions. Two of the officers whose firings were announced Sunday, investigators Ivy Street, Streeter and Mark Gardner were charged, and there were four other officers charged as well. They're being charged with aggravated assault for using a taser against Young and charged with pointing a gun at Young, according to arrest warrants, and Gardner's charged with aggravated assault for using a taser against Pilgrim. Man, drop on the clues bombs for Keisha Lance Bottoms. Mm-hmm. Do you see that, Mayor de Blasio? Okay, that's how a man is supposed to treat corrupt police officers. Okay, I love elected officials who care about the people more than they care about the system. The system is supposed to work with us, and when it doesn't, and when there's an abuse of power from the system, they got to be held accountable. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Got him up out of there quick. But you can't do that. Can't, can't do that when you're in the police, you're in your pocket, like Mayor de Blasio is. And All right. Well, it was- And the Fulton County District Attorney Paul Howard announced those charges during a news conference uh, that happened. Atlanta police did not immediately have a comment. All right. Well, that is your front page news. Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up right now. Phone lines are wide open again. The number again is 800-585-1051. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Wake up, wake up. Wake your ass this is your time to get it off your chest. Whether you're mad or blessed, we want to hear from you on The Breakfast Club. Hello, who's this? Hey, this is Ross Lazarus from Savannah, What's up, bro? Georgia. What's Off up, bro? How you road. feeling today, man? I'm feeling fine. One love to you all. One love to you all in these trials. Peace, King. Get it off your chest, bro. Man, I'm upset about that. Black authors of sci-fi have no outlets, really, like... We're kind of rejecting and throwing it loose from the film industry to the book literaries to the publishing companies. You know, like, we really need some some better outlets for black sci-fi authors. No, I agree. Salute to my dude, Sylvester. He got this uh, line called Planet Dead, but I agree with you. It's only because they don't take us serious in that space right now. They look at black people and they think we're only supposed to be writing about one thing, which is usually the street life. Right, and that's that's like, like they want us just to walk, write an identity of corruption and nothing that develops us or gives us some science about life, you know, so like in my book, The Black Rose of Kush, we got everything in there from post-traumatic slave syndrome, like with Dr. Jo- um, jo- um, Joy um, DeGury puts in her book. Y'all definitely need to put her on your show. Have y'all had Dr. What's her name? On there yet? Dr. Joy. No, I never heard of her. Post-traumatic slave syndrome. She is, she is the, 
I call her the female Malcolm X of this time. You got to really check her out. Like she is the truth for for, for post traumatic slave syndrome. If we talk, I, about I've heard that. Trauma stuff, oh, yeah, man. I mean, I've heard that term. Yeah, I've definitely used that term. I don't. Maybe, man. Maybe I do know her. I don't know. I've definitely used that term though. Well, thank you. You for probably checking would in, like bro. to go see the slave play on Broadway. Then, well, when it's, whenever it's back open again, it's kind of all about that too. But a shout out to Toshi Onyebuche. We had him on the show. He's a black sci-fi author. He wrote the book War Girls. Hello, who's this? Hey, what's going on? It's Kevin. Kevin, what's up, good bro? Morning, Get it uh, off your chest. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Peace, King. What's going on? Yeah, uh, what, yeah I'm you tell us. Ohio right now. I'm. Pardon me. Now tell us what's going on, Wait. bro. Wait, no, the oh, yeah, stage yeah, no, is yours. I'm calling from Ohio right now. I'm actually, uh, like, Ohio just actually went into a lockdown as of 11.59 last night. And, um, mm-hmm. I, actually, I, I got to go up, and I'm still at work. I work for Google, and it's like 17,000 people here right now. I was like, I don't know why they didn't, you know, this the message didn't get over here. But um, I just, uh, I just want to get it off my chest. But I'm ready for this thing to be over, man. I mean, my birthday is coming up on March 30th. I'm still, I still got to work. I still got to do everything I got to do here. Like, you know what I mean? And it's just like. I think it's just um, disappointing. Uh, it's, it's chaotic. It's just chaotic now, you know. Yes. They they gave me forms to give the police. They're like, look, if you get pulled over, get a police this. Like, what? <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So yeah, we got those know. too. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you something though. If if you believe in social distancing, uh, the club to wanting coronavirus to be over is pretty packed. So I don't think you need to be in here. Yeah, and just be blessed that you you do have some kind of job because there's a lot of people out there that that have no work, have no income, and that they're allowing you to work with social distancing. Hello, who's this? Good morning, Angela. Yo, March 24th hey, snack man. is to me. Listen, March 24th is yeah. to me as January 3rd is to you, boo-boo. Oh, well, happy birthday, snack man. Thank you, thank you. Okay, here's How the are joke. you celebrating you? with coronavirus? Yeah, yeah, oh, thank you. Well, here's a joke. You ready? Thank you. This guy is not even ready? listening. What do you call a Mexican hangover? Uh-oh. A coronavirus. Um, Boo. Boo. Get off the stage. Boo. Boo. Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up right now. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. your time to get it off your chest, whether you're mad or blessed. So you better have the same energy. We want to hear from you on The Breakfast Club. Hello, who's this? Oh, this is Trav. What's good, Envy? Oh, Trav. What's up, brother? Hey, Trav. Hey, what's up, boo? How are you? What's up, boo? How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. What's going on, Charlemagne? Peace, sis. What's happening? Nah, chilling like a villain, chilling like a villain. Hey, man, for, 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 first I want to say, um... Uh, Trina, 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 uh, uh, Auntie Trina, uh, Auntie Trina, um, Trina, you are. Uh-oh. I might gotta remove. I might, I might gotta take my pictures off my Instagram with her, man, because she, she's she is clearly embarrassed. She is, she's clearly being embarrassing right now. The way that she's acting, calling people animals and stuff. By the way, she's supposed she's to acting. be. She's supposed to be making a statement this morning, so we'll see what she has to say. Girl, keep your statement. I don't. Th- I don't think we want her statement. Girl, keep your statement. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Trav, we got to stop doing one thing, though. We got we got to stop saying R.I.P. just when somebody makes a mistake. That's a bit harsh, don't you think? Oh, R.I.P. I, 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 I just said that I might got to take my pictures down with her. I don't know yet. Yeah, but don't say R.I.P. Yeah, you, can, you, you know, can't Trina just was cancel very... somebody if she made a mistake. And, and, and not saying, not defending her, but 
Let's be honest. We all say things out of anger, out of hate, out of being confused. So we'll see what she has to say. Hopefully she apologizes and she understands what she said that was wrong. Hey, listen, I'm fine if you want to cancel. Just don't put death on the person. <laughs> R.I.P. is harsh. I feel, and you know what? And I think she was a she was a little um, emotional. You know, her brother got shot and killed, and she was discussing that and a lot of different things. And she may have misspoke. So we'll see what she has to say this morning. Okay, that's cool. But listen, I was also going to tell you about my job real quick, right? So my job took the right stance as far as, like, blacking out, like, their website and putting out a bunch of messages um, to our company and stuff. And my job, I work in Montgomery County. Montgomery County also, their mayor also claimed that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization. And you should see the way the people at my job are acting about the way that my company is standing behind Black Lives Matter, man. So... I might need to be finding another company. <laughs> it's crazy that yeah, people think Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization, an organization mm-hmm. that's actually sticking yeah, that's up ridiculous. for people because they're tired of seeing uh, black people get killed at the hands of the police. Is a terrorist yeah, organization. That's crazy. That's right, a, so we're in a strange place. Thank you, Trav. 800-585-1051. Get it off your chest. Naive, we got rumors on the way? Yes, we're going to be talking about Drew Brees. People are very upset at him. LeBron James is leading the athlete pushback on some of his comments on protests. All right, we'll get into that next. Keep it locked. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. It's about time. What's going on? This is the Rumor Report with Angela Yee on The Breakfast Club. So Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey has started his own Start Small Fund, and he's putting up $3 million of his own money into that fund, and it's all aimed at Kaepernick's Know Your Rights camp. So he's dedicating that money to pay legal calls for protesters who got arrested while fighting for justice for George Floyd. So you can see on Twitter, $3 million to Colin Kaepernick's Know Your Rights camp to advance the liberation and well-being of black and brown communities through education, self-empowerment, mass mobilization to elevate the next generation of change leaders. And that's what he said uh, that money is going towards. So as you know, Colin Kaepernick's Know Your Rights camp started a legal defense initiative to cover legal bills for the freedom fighters. Oh, salute All to right. Jack. That's right. That's how you, that's how you use, your, use your privilege in paper to combat prejudice. Salute to Jack. Yes, and now let's talk about Drew Brees from the New Orleans Saints, the quarterback. He had some things to say when he talked about seeing players kneeling during the national anthem when football resumes, and here's what he had to say when he was questioned about that. I will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. Let me, let me just tell you what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the, the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II. And is everything right with our country right now? No, we still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together. We can all do better. And that we are all part of the solution. Drew Brees, shut the F up forever. I watched that, that video so a few times yesterday. I didn't understand the context. Like, was, it, was they asking him about kneeling in peaceful protest? Was they asking him about the protest now? Like, why Why did he volunteer that information at a time like this? I'm not sure. And they showed pictures of him kneeling before, so I was lost and confused. Exactly. Well, for any white people who don't understand, just, un- just know this. You wonder why so many black folks have a problem with patriotism? It's because how can we salute a country that enslaved us and continues 
to brutalize us. Drew Brees sees America, you know, for the, for the beautiful country it is because he's a white privileged male. That's how he sees America because this white supremacist system works well for him because it was designed to. So he don't see the same America we see. Well, LeBron responded. He said, wow, man, is it still surprising at this point? Sure isn't. You literally still don't understand why Cap was kneeling on one knee. Has absolute nothing to do with the disrespect of the flag and our soldiers, men and women who keep our land free. My father-in-law was one of those men who fought as well for this country. I asked him questions about it and thank him all the time for his commitment. He never found Cap's peaceful protest offensive because he and I both know what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. God bless you. A lot of players also, a lot of NFL players, went online to vocalize how they felt about Drew Brees' comments. Richard Sherman said he's beyond lost. Guarantee you there were black men fighting alongside your grandfather, but this doesn't seem to be about that. That uncomfortable conversation you are trying to avoid by injecting military into a conversation about brutality and equality is part of the problem. Julius Pepper said if you're still talking about players disrespecting the flag by kneeling during the national anthem... Clearly, you're not ready for these conversations. Call a timeout and come back later. Now, his some of his most well-known teammates from the Saints, including top wide receiver Michael Thomas, also publicly had things to say. Michael Thomas had elevated innovation over ignorance. And Steven Jackson actually responded to Michael Thomas's comments and said this. Way to hold Drew Brees accountable, Mike. I don't give a damn if he throw you all them touchdowns. Bad timing, Drew Brees. Bad timing, bro. All right, you 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 play for New Orleans and you live in New Orleans. All them black people in New Orleans that support you, Drew Brees, you got to be a little bit more sensitive to the timing, bro. You can't just be saying shit out your ass. Yeah, you should understand. But y'all got to hold all y'all white teammates accountable, bro. Drew Brees. If you ain't down with us, then hey, you on the other side. Yeah, it's going to be rough in that Saints locker room uh, this year. But mm -hmm. I, I also want to tell any white person out there who doesn't get it, if you don't understand why Cap was kneeling, then go watch the video of that white devil cop kneeling on George Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes, and then you'll probably get it. All right. Well, I'm Angela Yee, and that is your rumor report. All right. Thank you, Miss Yee. Now, when we come back, we have attorney Benjamin Crump joining us. Also, Tez, we're going to be talking about these charges filed against these officers, what they mean, uh, what's next. And we're going to talk to him when we come back during front page news. So don't move. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We got a special guest on the line, attorney Benjamin Crump. Welcome back, brother. Hey, good to see you again. And, and Tesla Figaro is with attorney Ben Crump. Yes. Last week. Now, uh, we're going to ask, of course, yesterday the three officers were charged. So can you break down the charges and tell us exactly what those charges mean and how much time can those officers really get? Absolutely. And thank you all for the Breakfast Club family. Everybody staying vigilant until we got the charges. Um, the attorney general for the state of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, a good brother with a track record for championing civil rights, he announced yesterday that all the officers were being arrested for aiding and abetting a murder. And he upgraded the charges envy on Officer Chauvin to second degree murder, which if he is convicted, and I say if because we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, Charlemagne, mm -hmm. he can get up to 40 years in prison and Angie, the others who are charged with aiding and abetting, if they're convicted, they can get up to 20 years in prison. So based on the autopsy we talked about with uh, the family, Dr. Michael Biden, and a sister named Dr. Alicia Wilson, who is the head of pathology and forensic sciences at the University of Michigan, 
did an independent autopsy and came to these conclusions. Number one, the man-in cause of death was mechanical asphyxiation based on the knee to the neck by Chauvin for almost nine minutes, uh, eight minutes and 46 seconds, Angie, to be exact. And then the two knees in the back on the video, Charlemagne, when we look at the other officer who kept his knees there the entire time, and so it was pressing down on his lungs, uh, not allowing them to contract and intake or dispense air, which caused no blood flow to go to his brain, and he was starving from a lack of air. Literally, that's where he died from. The legal definition of the autopsy was homicide. Obviously, that's most important for the criminal charges. And so those were the conclusions, and they were contradictory to the conclusions of the county DAs uh, who medical examiners are uh, autopsy. And so that's what he used to base his charges, Angie. How can there be two such different autopsy results? That's what I wanted to ask you, because I know the family, you guys did go ahead and order an independent one. So how can something like that happen? Angie, it happens more often than you would think. The medical examiner who works with the police departments every day, they come up with these amazing imaginary ways to tell us what we saw really didn't happen or was not the cause of death. And so the county medical examiner did agree that it was homicide after we came out with it. But then he said it could be genitive heart failure, that he had some underlying health conditions that were undiagnosed. And so he said that is a, a condition that could have killed him because they saw no trauma to the trachea or not enough trauma to the trachea, even though our doctors disagree with that. And they said, Angie and Charlemagne and Yeezy, the old thing they always say, oh, he had drugs in his system. I heard they said he had coronavirus. That's what I heard, some news I heard this morning. Yeah, that's they saying that too. But that didn't kill him, even if it was there. No fentanyl didn't kill him. No methamphetamine killed him. All of those, I believe, are just distractions to try to throw us off track. Kind of like Eric Gardner, y'all, y'all in New York, y'all know how they came out and tried to literally say that Eric Garner didn't die from what those officers did. So that's why we got to stay vigilant. I know we talking about making sure we get a conviction uh, on, on all the officers on this case. And then Teslin is helping me talk about the political ramifications of how we use this moment to turn it into systematic reform and legislation. Let's hear it, Tez. Let's hear that. That's what I want to hear. How do we keep yeah. prevent things like this from happening? Absolutely. Well, it's really important that we continue the collective pressure. You know, we talk about collective pressure all the time. And one thing is to do to keep making sure that the message is consistent uh, from a public standpoint. It's really important. We keep hearing folks talk about the property damage. Let us all remember that when black people came to this country, the first thing that they did was make us property. So there mm -hmm. has always over property being more important than black lives and black bodies. So it's really important, particularly to my Breakfast Club family, that we continue to keep the narrative consistent, that one, we need systematic change. I know Reverend Al Sharpton will be announcing some things today uh, at the at the eulogy to talk about how we can come together to talk about federal laws that need to be in place. And those are the type of things that we need to keep the pressure on. We cannot allow this to be used as a political 
political pawn uh, to have uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar or Biden or Trump or whoever to use this to push one agenda over the other. We must keep the main thing, the main thing, and consistently talk about how do we get laws in place to make sure that police officers go to jail when they kill us. It's not about trying to change the heart of anybody, but it is about with diversity training and so forth. That's important. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is if you get caught killing us, if you get caught doing us wrong, you will go to jail and there will be an immediate conviction. I will probably say this is the fastest that we've ever had a result in this because people have been in the street protesting, using their voices online and having folks like you at the Breakfast Club that continue to keep that message consistent. Hey, Ben, let me ask you a question. How come the other officers who kneeled on him, why weren't they given harsher charges other than aiding and abetting? You know, uh, Attorney General Keith Ellison said to the family and me that they're continuing to investigate and if they find evidence that will sustain a first-degree murder charge uh, against Chauvin. They will upgrade that charge, and I believe they're going to find that information out there because I think he knew George Floyd. I think they had a history, and so we got to keep on that, Charlemagne. And number two, he said if those other officers, we can show based on their audio from their body cameras that they had uh, mental... Uh, thoughts that were ill will against George, he will increase the charges. He said he just doesn't have that evidence yet. And I do want to say whether it's Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, what we got to do and what Tez as a political consultant to all of us, Charlemagne is helping us with is systematic response in all of these cases. So black people can expect the criminal justice system to work the same in Minnesota as it does in Georgia or as it do in Kentucky or in Staten Island, New York. We need federal systematic reform to make sure this moment for George Floyd is not just a moment, but it's a movement to prevent other brothers and sisters from being killed. Can I ask you a, can I ask you a technical question? I've heard people saying that it's a lot harder to convict an officer of first-degree murder, so they're saying that's why that's not a charge that they would prefer. I just want to ask you as an attorney, because I don't know, obviously, the ins and outs of that. So are we trying to do that? Is, that, is there truth to that? No, nah, Queen, there's a lot of truth to that. It's very rarely that an officer has ever convicted of first-degree murder. That's what made Botham Jones such a phenomenon. You remember the first time in the history of a white policewoman was convicted of first-degree murder for killing a black person because people want to believe police no matter how much they show us that they have this legacy of being the slave patrol. A lot of our white brothers and sisters want to say, no, no, they're just doing their job. They're good people, and they didn't premeditate this. They didn't intend this. This is just something that happened, but they tortured George Floyd. I mean, the governor of Minnesota was right to say we want to investigate them for human rights abuses in Van Charlemagne because, I mean, they tortured him nine minutes. He said, I can't breathe. He's asking for his mama. I mean, think about the psychology of that for a second. The person who protects us most when we come in this world, it's innate for us to always think about our mother as our protector. And then at the end of his life, in a desperate plea, he say, mama, mama. And then he does a documentary of his death, and he says, I'm gone now. So Dang. that's why this is going to be a hard funeral and memorial for the family. So we are they're going to need serious mental health counseling, Charlemagne, all his family, especially his children and his brothers and sisters. Yeah, me and Taz was talking about that last night. We trying to put something together, you know, for, for the families to get that grief counseling that they need. Taz, I want to ask you a question real quick. 
I saw that they allowed Amy Klobuchar to announce that the officers were being arrested. That felt political to me. Why did she announce instead of Keith Ellis? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we already, let's, let's just keep it real straight shot with no chaser. You know, being as nice, I'm going to get a little bit rough. But she did it because, again, she has to make uh, some type of amends to the black community. Uh, too bad she wasn't doing that type of announcement years ago when she had an opportunity uh, to discipline this officer, to fire this officer, to prosecute this officer. So what we're not getting ready to do in 2020 is play this game, is this political pawn as she's continuing to push her uh, VP uh, application up. And to be, It's going to be reviewed, and it's going to be reviewed by the people, and we'll determine on whether or not we think she's a suitable candidate uh, for vice president. So I think a lot of us are on the deck. The jig is up. Uh, we are <laughs> able to figure out, Amy, uh, that you had an opportunity to speak up. So don't start with tweets now. This is me saying and not Attorney Benjamin Crump. He's more Martin. I'm more Malcolm. Uh, so let's be clear. Uh, Senator Klobuchar, we see it. We see you. We yeah. peep the game. And let's that she also be a vocal voice and actually getting some federal relation passed. That's where, where her opportunity is to step in and not to try to use this as a political I'll mind. just say this, Emma Charlemagne, Angie, this guy had 18 previous allegations of excessive force, most of them against minorities. So mm -hmm. it was foreseeable, the problem. Uh, Amy Klobuchar was the district attorney before she became senator. So they could have prosecuted this guy and George Floyd will still be alive. Right. Well, we know you got to go, and we appreciate you, Tez, and Attorney Benjamin Crump, for checking in. I know you guys are on scene right now. Thank you for checking in and breaking down the charges and keeping us informed, and we know we got a line to you anytime we need you. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. All right. Pray for the family at this memorial. Absolutely. Send them all love. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. When we come back, we have Reverend Dr. William Baldwin checking in, so don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. Now we got a special guest on the line right now. We have Reverend Dr. William Barber. Good morning, brother. Good morning. Good morning. Now I was saying a second ago that you and Charlemagne were talking behind the scenes while we were setting everything up, and we said save it for air. So Charlemagne, what were you talking about with the brother? Well, he was telling me about how when he goes to meetings with these with, with these politicians and he he asks things. Go, go ahead, go ahead, Reverend Bob. Yeah, the bottom line is. In our campaign, the Poor People's Campaign, the National Call for Moral Revival, mm -hmm. we did an audit of America on five interlocking injustices, five injustices that are like interlocking evils, and you got to address all of them simultaneously because they try to choke the life out of what's left of this democracy. Systemic racism in all of its forms, systemic poverty, ecological devastation, denial of health care, the war economy and militarism and the false moral narrative of religious nationalism and white evangelicalism. <clears throat> when you go in the meetings and you start talking and you lay out an agenda, you actually have 50 things or 20 things that, that, that relate to that, how we deal with it. The question is always, well, what is the most important? Or what one thing? Or for instance, on race, they'll say, okay, well, we have a commission that we're going to do on racism. Mm -hmm. And what we say is, we have an agenda here. And then after a while, I finally say, listen, look at this pandemic. We passed three bills, mm -hmm. $3 trillion in less than uh, 50, 40 days, back in, in, in two weeks. The corporations get everything they want. Mm -hmm. They get $3 trillion. So if they can get $3 trillion things, then you need to hear my 50, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not playing that game because polit politics is not just about listening. So, I mean, one of the things that I'm deep, deep, deeply concerned about right now, I heard it this morning somebody say, 
well, you know, Trump this and Trump this, but, you know, we were getting along before him. I'm saying, but you were but getting along doing what? That's right. Getting along doing what? There were 140 million poor people in this country prior to the pandemic. 43% of this nation and 61% of African Americans were poor and low income prior to this pandemic. Mm. And 700 people were dying a day and 200, a quarter million a year. Seven people died from vaping and we had a congressional hearing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Seven people died from vaping and there was a presidential uh, uh, audience in the White House. 700 people dying a day from poverty and 61% of African Americans poor and low wealth, 68% of Latino. And uh, politicians are scared to say poverty. Republicans are racialized, Democrats run from it, nobody deals with the reality of it. So we're not going to just talk about one thing. We need to talk about the comprehensive things that need to be done. Absolutely. Can I ask you a question, uh, Reverend Barber? Why haven't black people received the economic justice they deserve from this country? You know, it has a long history. I don't want to go through the whole history. You know it. You know, the thing that they stopped real quick was the 40 acres and the mute. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like y'all free and pause. <laughs> <laughs> Two things we weren't fighting for, a long weekend, mm-hmm. and the other thing we weren't fighting for was just freedom. It was citizenship, full citizenship. I think the problem is, one, we, we've not dealt with the, the, the extent of the problem. That's the first thing. Since King killed, Robert Kennedy was killed in 1968, for about 52 years, if you think about it, the issue of poverty has been wiped off the table. Mm. We have a neo, both parties are trapped, not in the same way, but by a neoliberalism imagination that basically says, one group says, if you take care of the middle class and up, everybody else will be okay. If you take care, what others says, if you take care of the top, it'll trickle down. Well, that's just not true. And so when you're trapped in that imagination and you're not even talking about the extent of the economic injustice, when I say 140 million people, that ought to shock everybody. First of all, the government says there's only 38, 39 million people that are poor. That's not true. According to Columbia, Harvard, it's 140 million. Now, you cannot continue to pass policies year after year after year and say we're getting better a little bit and never deal with the fact of 43% of your entire population in poverty. And in this pandemic, it's going over 50. So you first have to deal with the extent of the issue. So what, what, is, what do you think the solution should be? How, right. do, how do we solve this problem? Right. Well, again, if I might talk in the terms that I talk in, in terms of, of fusion, moral fusion analysis, there are several things that block us from dealing with the real economic agenda. One starts with racism, one form of racism, and that's racist voter suppression and gerrymandering because that's used to lock up the system in a certain way so that, so that people can't really uh, break through and be engaged. What I mean by that? We do mapping in our movement, and every state that is a racist voter suppression state, that's where the governor, the legislature, the congressional representatives, the Senate, and the presidential candidates get elected is skewed by gerrymandering and racism. Okay, that's a, that's a fact of the matter. Um, uh, the courts recently called it surgical racism. 
So that means that your political bodies are not really representative of the people. You can actually have more people vote in a progressive way, but then they not get elected because of racism. Now you say, well, what does that have to do with economics? Well, economics is, 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 is fostered by policy, not just by charity and not just by one or two people getting rich. It's policy. 64% of all African-Americans, for instance, make less than a living wage. You could change that tomorrow by raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour and pump $638 billion into the economy. But you can't raise that just by asking corporations to be nice. It has to be a policy. Voter suppression undermines our politics. Let me quickly show you what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. Every state that is a racist voter suppression state if you put the map over there, it's also a high-poverty state. It's also a state where the politicians block living wages and block health care. And the people who are doing that, many of them get elected, not because they won the vote, but because they cheated through racist voter suppression and gerrymandering. So you have, so, and here's the other piece of that. The people who use race to get elected, once they get elected, they not only pass policies that hurt the overwhelming number of black people, they pass policies that hurt white people because there are more white people that are poor in raw numbers than there are black people. There are more black people that are impacted by poverty in terms of the percentage, but there are actually more white people in raw numbers. So if your politics is locked up, then you, your policies are locked up. And what kind of policies do we need? We need living wages That's right. immediately. We need guaranteed basic income. Dr. King talked about that years ago. That's right. We need health care. And every congressperson gets free health care. Every governor gets free health care. But when it comes to the people having the same thing they have, all of a sudden we can't afford it. All right, we have more with Reverend Dr. William Barber. When we come back, don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne mm. the God. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Reverend Dr. William Barber. Yee. So with everything that's been happening now with the pandemic, with coronavirus, do you feel like people are becoming more active and that they're actually stepping up and saying what the demands are? And right before an election, just wanting certain policies and being more involved in local elections and all of that, do you think that things are about to be somewhat of a revolution? Yeah, I think that those who think that the reaction to George Floyd's murder, lynching, a knee killing on camera, death by racism, that's what we saw. I call it a code 66, death by racism. Um, but you miss it if you think it's just about George Floyd. Uh, the same way you would miss it if you thought the reaction to the killing of Jimmy Lee Jackson, a cop in 1965, was just about Jimmy Lee Jackson. We are seeing public mourning. People are protesting because they know it doesn't have to be like this. Uh, people only protest what they believe can be changed. If folk didn't protest, that meant we, we really would be in trouble because it mean people have given up all hope that things could change. Now, I think that this we see happening has the potential for people to say, wait a minute, when he said, I can't breathe, he was talking about that cop's knee on his neck and those other cops on his back. But I think a lot of people heard that metaphorically. We can't breathe either. That's right. Because of the weight of poverty on our neck, the denial of health care on our neck. You see, we're in the midst. It's, it's when this happened. 
it happened in the midst of a pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, you had 140 million people poor, 700 people a day dying from poverty. Then you have the pandemic. We have all this negligence and ineptitude of the president and, and the Senate. And then we have all this money. Three bills get passed. It goes to the corporate. It goes up. It doesn't come down. And then we, we take service workers and we say, oh, we know what we'll do. We'll give them a name change. That's all they need. Changing from service worker to essential worker. But we won't give them the essentials they need. So you had three bills passed. Not one of those bills guaranteed health care in the middle of a pandemic. We didn't shift. Not one of those bills said we're going to guarantee sick leave. We're going to guarantee unemployment. We're going to guarantee rent forgiveness. The actual bill that they passed said you could have a moratorium on your rent for three years, three months, but then the fourth month you had to pay the three months and the fourth month at the same month. Well, you couldn't pay one month at the time. How the hell are you supposed to be You know, but really, I mean, really. And we didn't, we didn't, we didn't even guarantee in those bills utilities could cut off. So in a pandemic where you need to wash your hands, there was nothing in there that said you can't cut off people's water. Dang Right, but like, but like you said, you know, I was talking the other day. I was like, you know, you say deferment. I ain't got to pay for three months, right? Let's say right. four months, let's say. Right. Then I got to get and find a job. Then when I find a job, you want me to play the full four months right away? Right. I can't afford it. Or and and, and you did. The bill, you can't, how could you, if, if I couldn't pay, if I could barely pay 1300 now you're going to raise my note up so I can make up the four months? Right. Now I can't pay that. I'm going to be late. And you're going right. to That's right. But... You immediately give the corporations two, three trillion dollars. 85% of all that money went up top. 85%. Mm-hmm. So basically, you say to them, we're going to pay you to pay your bill. In fact, we're going to say poor folk have to pay an 85% surcharge just to get a little teeny bit. We didn't, we, we didn't, you know, nobody would look, call my breakfast club. You wouldn't go to a club that had an 85% surcharge on you just coming in. <laughs> Come on, y'all. I mean, we ain't all been saved all our life. Come on here. Hey, Reverend Barber, I, um, <laughs> I, I keep saying that if Barack Obama is JFK, Joe Biden has the chance to be Lyndon B. Johnson, especially in a moment like this. Do you think he could be as progressive on race and class as LBJ? I think we are in a third reconstruction, the pains of a third reconstruction. The first one was reconstruction right after slavery. Mm-hmm. Then you had a reaction to that, just like Trump was reacting to Barack Obama. We had a second reconstruction, the civil rights movement. Then the reaction to that was the Southern strategy and Wallace and Nixon and all that. And now we're in the birth pains of a third reconstruction. I said to um, Vice President on an Easter podcast. I heard it. All right. That there are moments that crucifixion gives you an opportunity to resurrect. Mm-hmm. But you got to take it. There are moments that what you may have said and meant well before doesn't fit. And you have to know that moment. And not only Biden, but the Congress. I keep saying to, 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 to even to Democrats, you, all this energy in the streets, what if people, you come out, not they come out with a hero's bill, but even that's limited. Because it's limited, they say, well, what we can't get passed because of McConnell. Well, why not pass in the House what ought to be passed? And then if McConnell wants to go against people's lives, let him do that publicly. And we film that and show it to people. And then the question becomes, do you want to vote for folk who are trying to fight for you to have health care? Or do you want to vote for folk that even in the midst of a pandemic will let you die? Do you want to vote for people who will say you need a living wage and will push that out there? Or do you want to vote for people who believe the things that really need to live our corporations? There has to be a dichotomy. And we have to get free of this neoliberal from the middle high, middle up 
imagination. So I think it's possible, but it's only possible if it's rooted in policy. Yes, it right. can't just be conversation. And I, this is the time I think you have to do a major presentation. I, in fact, this is going to sound strange, uh, maybe to some folk. And, and let me say it here. I keep hearing folks saying we need, we need a black agenda, but the question is how do we do that? And what I mean by that, if you look at these five interlocking injustices, what I'm looking for and what the Poor People's Campaign is looking for and why we're meeting on June 20th, 2020 for a mass Poor People's Assembly and moral march on Washington, that day you're not going to hear from me, or say, you're going to hear from this white coal miner in Kentucky who's hooking up with these black folk from the Mississippi Delta who've decided to address racism and poverty. Not just poverty so we don't have to deal with race, and not just race so we, they think it's, that's just dealing with black people. What if we had the Congress and the candidates? Forget party for a minute. What if you say, here's my plan for health care? Let's just say health care. This pandemic. And when I put this plan together, I made sure that addressing the disparities of race was, a, was, was right in the center of putting it together. Now, here's the plan. And if I am elected and this plan is pushed forward, this is how it will impact black people. This is how it will impact Latino people. This is how it will impact children. This is how, that's the grown-up conversation we got to have in America. I want in every piece of policy, our campaign says, in every policy, we want to know how does it address systemic racism, systemic poverty, ecological devastation, so forth and so on. So th- those, and then that way, we move from voting for a person to a person that has a policy. That's right. All right, we got more with Reverend Dr. William Barber. When we come back, don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne mm. the God. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Reverend Dr. William Barber. Charlamagne? I keep saying, man, voting doesn't matter if the person you voting for is not going to go in there and help dismantle the system of white supremacy. Exactly. And, and, and then you've got to teach folk what we do in the Poor People's Campaign is we teach people that racism when you really push it, it's not just against black people, it's against humanity, it's against the democracy, it hurts everybody. Remember what I said, the same politician that passed racist voter suppression law block living wages and block health care, and when they do that, it actually blocks more in raw numbers, not in impact, white people. That's why our campaign is organizing people in the hills of Kentucky and in the black streets of Louisville, because Dr. King said in 65, Anytime black poor folk and white poor folk, he said this at the end of the Selma to Montgomery uh, March, this, I think one of his greatest speeches that we don't reference enough. He said, anytime there's the possibility for poor black folk and poor white people to change the political capitals and to change the policy, the bourbon class, notice he didn't say Democrat or Republican, he said the bourbon class, the aristocracy, sows division. Sows division by design. And so... We have to, first of all, deal with what racism is. And then second of all, we have to examine it in every aspect of policy. And then third of all, we have to be able to name specific policies that are, are going to unpack it. And I, and, and I think what people misread when, when, when you ask these questions on the front end, they act like black people, like 
if you if you don't if you ask a question and push me, then you might not vote for me in November. Well, I might not. But if I ask you and maybe you give me 50%, I might look at the other person and say, well, they're at 20%. So I vote for you and then I push you after the election for the rest of the 50. <laughs> but you can't just get a pass. <laughs> I got to talk quick questions, man. Um, the Poor People's Campaign, that's the movement Dr. MLK Jr. was pivoting to. It's ultimately, I think, what got him killed. What, what made, you, what made you want to take that charge on? Well, it got, it got him killed. You know, it, it pains me to say some of this, but um, when Dr. King called his nation the greatest purveyor of violence in exactly one year to the date of his death, August 3rd, uh, 1967, <clears throat> and he started talking about the three evils, poverty, racism, and militarism. Mm -hmm. And he said that America couldn't be who she pretends to be and promises to be without dealing with all three of those, moral fusion. She said, he said, we got to deal with all three of them. The next morning, uh, over 100 newspapers wrote against him. Some black newspapers wrote against him. Black, some black organizations wrote uh, resolutions against him. Uh, prominent organizations, uh, some ministers turned against him. He lost his invitation to the White House. And the more he started talking about the two, two Americas, one prosperous and one poor, the more he started bringing together poor and white people and black people around this agenda to a deal with racism and poverty. What you see in the street now, white and black folk, but talking about racism and poverty. Uh, once he did that, um, he was marked because it was about fundamentally shifting the society. Now, the other half of that story is, it was the black welfare rights women that kind of pushed Dr. King to go in that direction. And Dr. King understood something. You cannot change this society until you change the narrators. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing today. My, my last question, man, because you are a reverend. Uh, I feel like everything that's going on right now is divine. And I truly feel like no good is going to come to America until they do right by black people through legislation and reparations. Well, what do you think? Exactly. You know, you cannot, John, John, John Hope Franklin said something that capsulated it for me. And I'm going to repeat him. God bless him. He's gone on that. We did an interview with him. He said, you know, if I could keep somebody in slavery, for 250 years, and then let them go and just say, oops. That's what not doing reparation, that's not what not doing, not dealing with the realities of the injustices that still permeate from 250 years of free labor being taken. If I can do that to somebody and then just say, well, DJ Envy, oops, I'm sorry. Go be free. That's what John Hope Franklin said. America can't just say, oops. Right. Not just to us, but to the genocide, because that's toward First Nation people. You can't just say, oops. Mm -hmm. You can't take and you can't build an entire country on the backs of, of slavery that was rooted in, rooted in what we call bad biology, and that is your skin color determines your brain size, sick sociology, that is black and white people can't be together on the same level at, at the same level of humanity, uh, evil economics that the end justifies the mean no matter what you do, as long as somebody makes money, it's all right. 
And then the last one is heretical ontology. That is that God meant for it to be like that. You can't build an entire economic system in a country on top of that. And then the end of it, and the end of the Jim Crow, legal Jim Crow, say, oops. When you still are trapped in so many ways by systemic racism. You can't do that. Politicians will be only as good as we make them. Our political system will be only as good as we make them. And so that's why we can't even wait on them to have an agenda. We have to have an agenda and then demand that that agenda be responded to. And that's what the Poor People's Campaign done. We don't just talk about the numbers and the problem. For every problem we raise, we have a solution. You can go to www.poorpeoplescampaign.org and it's right there, your listeners. And you can join us on June 20th, 2020 to hear it. 10 o'clock on every kind of social media on the MSNBC is going to do a, a big um, uh, a piece on it um, and, and, and let us use their, their entire uh, social media platform. We want people to tune in to hear white people talking about racism, black people talking about economic issues and telling their story and saying, we are not going to quit until all five, systemic racism, systemic poverty, ecological devastation, denial of health care, this war economy, and the false moral narrative, religious nationalism are addressed. These, these things have to be addressed. And if you are bothered by what we do, remember that when a man is bleeding, ambulances run the light. And it's normal for an ambulance to run the light when folk are in trouble. Dr. King said that. He said, and we need some ambulance drivers now. Some people who are willing to refuse to obey the rules of it's all right, it's okay, just wait and wait again. Too many people are dying. Too many people are suffering. We must make our political system respond. We must do it in our deepest moral and non-violent, I believe, traditions. But it must not be weak. It has to be strong. has to be agenda-based. It has to last for an election and beyond an election. My brother, thank you, man. Appreciate you, Reverend Barber. Thank you for even having me, Doc. Yes, sir. Don't, don't be a stranger. I won't. I, I, now, next time, though, I'm a little mad because y'all, y'all didn't drop no music. I guess you don't do it when you're taping, see, and I won't get out here that late. Because, <laughs> like, I am a preacher, but, I, you know, I can still get down. You don't trust the prophet that can't dance. What hey, you want to hear? If you play him a song, what you want to hear, rap? <laughs> let, let me see. Let me see. What I want to hear? What I want to hear today? Uh, 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 fight the powers that be. Fight the power. All right. <laughs> Done deal. That take you way back. Done deal. Be. All right. right okay. My brother. God bless you. Take care. You right. too. Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. Let's get to the rumors. Let's talk Lauren London. This is the Rumor Report with Angela Yee on the Breakfast Club. So Lauren London was on a Red Table Talk, and just as a disclaimer, they did record this uh, prior to social distancing requirements. And so at the beginning, Jada had to give an updated introduction, talking about George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. And then she sat down with Lauren London, and they talked about the trauma of gun violence and how it affects women. Now, here is what Lauren London had to say about meeting people who Nipsey Hussle changed their life. I love to uh, meet people that... Uh, Nip has like really inspired because yeah. it feels like he's still here yeah. even though he is in a way but um, it's like his purpose that was completely outside of any of us his purpose is he's touching people still and yeah. I, I find that when I run into people that tell me 
how he's changed their life. Now, she also talked about raising black boys and having to prepare them to interact with police officers. What I instill in them is more about the police, how to handle yourself when you get pulled over. Right. That's more of my education. Yes, protecting them being uh, black men in America. I wonder how 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 soon is too soon to have that conversation with your um with your young black your young black boys. Like when do your young black boys go from being cute to being scary to white America to police you know what's officers? Funny? A, a, a friend of mine called me uh, yesterday and had that same conversation. It was like, well, when 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 have you told your kids? And I've said, uh, I think Logan was around thirteen when we had that first mm-hmm. conversation, and I, and I think it was around the same time uh, one of his white friends called him a. N- um, but my six-year-old, I, I think he, he's still a little innocent. He doesn't have to necessarily. I don't. I don't, I don't want to put that stress on him right now. When he, when he gets a little old, I think maybe ten, eleven. But I don't hide it from him. I don't hide the news from him. They watch the news. They know about coronavirus. They know about COVID nineteen. They know about George Floyd. So they they do know what's going on. But I haven't it's, had it's that just, necessary a, conversation yet. It's just a rough conversation to have with, with kids to tell your kids that you will probably be treated differently because of the color of your skin. Like, you don't know when to plant that seed, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, tough conversation. All right, Lauren Lennon also talked on Red Table, talk about advice that she can give to other people who are coping with the loss of a loved one. Here's what she said. For me, what's really been important is, like, connecting with God. Uh, and that's been a struggle because something horrible happens in your eyes and you're like, how, God? And knowing that there is life after this life, it's not easy. I don't always wake up on the enlightened side of the bed, you know. Right. And the days that I don't, I let myself because I'm human and I um, find things that matter. And so I try to live with a purpose. Lord have mercy, man. Prayers up for Lauren London always. Always sending Lauren London positive energy, love, and light, man. R.I.P. Nipsey. Nipsey Hustle. Absolutely. Yes, a lot of people are like, man, we would love to hear Nipsey's voice right now, in particular. Right now. Absolutely, mm-hmm. 100%. All right, so Khalees has uh, went on her Instagram page, and she also feels like the music industry, instead of just doing a Blackout Tuesday, should also help out black musicians. She said if the music industry wants to support black lives, labels and platforms can start with amending contracts, distributing royalties, diversifying boardrooms, and retroactively paying back all of the black artists and their families they have built their empires on. Erica Badu and Azealia Banks also shared that message as well. Not a bad she's message. right. Yeah, I agree with that. She's, she's right. It's, it's, it's not that they, it's that the record label contracts have never been fair. For the to artist. any artist, correct? You know what I'm saying? Period. But it's you know, black artists have made these labels so much money, so it's just like it's bad business, right? They only get a percent the record- of the record sold, like a small percent, maybe a, a couple of pennies for what they sell, which is ridiculous. Like artists have yeah, to I, I just, on the road. That's why right now, artists, a lot of artists are effed up. Don't get it twisted. Don't get the showing cash and money and all that on Instagram. Artists make their money, majority of them, by doing shows and being on the road. The fact that they can't be on the road and all the streams that they're seeing, they're not getting a majority of that money at all, and it's not right. Yeah, I always I wanted to do record labels, old artists. I had a conversation with a, an executive, and what uh, he was telling me, was that a lot of times when they do sign an artist, and, you know, it's a risk because most of the artists, it's a very small percentage of artists that actually become stars. But when that does happen, they do go back and renegotiate a contract because they do want it to be more fair to the artist so that the original contract that they signed 
you know, they want to make sure that they do more for them. Still and this uh, executive also told me that when they do a 360 deals, a lot of times they don't really cash in on like the merchandise and the touring and all of that. It's that's just, why I, say, I, I mean, wonder. I'm not saying it's completely fair, but I'm saying that's, you know. That's why I said I don't know if if if, if record labels owe artists. Do they owe artists? Owe is a strong word because you signed the contract. It is a business at the end of the day. It's just it's just bad business. Is it bad business or is it just a record business? I don't know. Uh both, both. Both, both, both. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it is bad business, but I do think it's the record business, but I think it needs to change. And I'm, and I'm hoping uh, when we have people in power like your Jay-Z's that own Rock Nation, that signs all these artists, that's helping these artists out or, or helping them to sign better deals, which they are, and that's what you need. Right, you need the, the artists labels that are going to do things to, to protect themselves, too. Let's be yeah. clear. They you need the artists that, get got, that got got to, 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 to change the situation. Because there are some artists who get a, a big chunk of money and then they don't produce, and then the label has to eat that also. Right, but so it always would be a few artists that'll keep a label afloat and then hundreds more that end up being right off, I guess. All right, well, I'm Angela Yee, and that is your rumor report. All right, thank you, Miss Yee. Now, Charlemagne, who are you giving that donkey to? Uh, we need New Orleans Saints Drew Brees to come to the front of the congregation. We'd like to have a word with him, please. We're waiting for this one. All right, we'll get into that next. Keep it locked. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. You Dumb ass. You get donkey of the day. You are a donkey. It's time for donkey of the day. Donkey of the day, huh? I'ma fatten all that shit around your eye. They want this man to throw them blows, man. They waiting for Charlemagne to tap these gloves. Let's go. They had to make a judgment of who was going to be on the donkey of the day. They chose you. Yeah. The Breakfast Club, bitches. Who's donkey of the day today? Dog here today for Thursday, June 4th, goes the New Orleans Saints quarterback, Drew Brees. Yeah, the mayonnaise is very, very heavy on this sandwich, okay? Uh, I've been having a lot of conversations with my white friends this week. They all want to know what to say, how to say it, in regards to not only the death of George Floyd, but about their place on this planet in general. You know, the whole white privilege, white supremacist conversation. See, sadly, there's not a white person in America who can say that at some point, Someone in their family tree, somewhere in their, someone in their bloodline, uh, their ancestors were part of the problem. Okay, the problem being white supremacy. It is what it is, people. Nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed about. Uh, no matter how history books attempt to sanitize it, no matter how sweet they try to make it sound, all America was not built on Christian values, okay, like they try to sell it. All right, please stop. Okay, America was built on the back of slavery and racism. That's it, point blank, period, poo. All right, slavery was America's first big business. This country was founded by old white men who were not attempting to make this country all-inclusive for everyone, especially black people. Okay, we were property, like actual literal property. That's why we got to constantly tell people black lives matter because in the Constitution it says black people were three-fifths of a person, the three-fifths rule. That's why we were treated as property, okay? So that's why we got to constantly remind you, no, I am actually a life, not a piece of property. And to this day, some still look at us. As, as, as property, okay? So, yes, my white allies, that's the harsh truth. If you are ready and willing to start from that place, then we can figure out how to dismantle this mechanism called white supremacy. Now, in regards to speaking out, you shouldn't have to ask me how to speak out for another human in regards to their pain, okay? If you are a spiritually conscious person in any way, if you are just a human being with empathy, when you saw that video of George Floyd, you should have felt the way, and whatever you felt, express it. Okay, you don't need a black person's permission for that. Okay, this is a mad. This is a matter of race, but it's also just a matter of being human. So, if you want to know, if you want to know what to do, it's simple. Just stand up for other humans. 
sadly, some people just don't get it. Uh, I'm not even mad at them for not getting it because we all live in our individual bubbles. And when you are a white male, you definitely live in a bubble because this system, for the most part, works perfectly for you. Okay, this white supremacist system, whether you are prejudiced, bigoted, racist or not, works great for most white males because it was designed by white males. So it's always going to be built in advantages, which is why when someone like Drew Brees doesn't get it, it doesn't surprise me at all. See, Drew Brees was giving an interview with Yahoo Finance. During the interview, he was asked his thoughts on the subject of players potentially kneeling during the, na- the national anthem for the 2020 season. Let's hear it. I will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. Let me, let me just tell you what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the, the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II. And in many cases, it brings me to tears thinking about all that has been sacrificed, not just those in the military, but for that matter, those throughout the civil rights movements of the 60s and everyone and all that has been endured by so many people up until this point. And is everything right with our country right now? No. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. We can all do better and that we are all part of the solution. Flag on the play. A violation has occurred. Uh, illegal use of white privilege. Drew Brees is marginalizing what black people are experiencing in this country because he's seeing the world through the lens of the oppressor, not the oppressed. Uh, I am happy that when Drew Brees sees the flag of the United States of America and his grandfathers who fought for this country in World War II, I'm glad he sheds a couple tears. That's beautiful. But Drew Brees, black people fought in World War II. But imagine fighting for a country that at that point didn't even give you the same civil liberties that it gave your grandparents, Drew Brees. Do you know when the U.S. entered World War II, Jim Crow segregation had entered every single aspect of American society? Do you know that there were several segregated units in the military during World War II? So even though we all supposed to have a common enemy in a war, this country still had us divided, okay? Still looked at us as an enemy. This is why so many black folks have a problem with patriotism. How can we salute a country that historically enslaved us, marginalized us, and continues to brutalize us? See, Drew Brees is a white, privileged male. That's how he sees America, okay? It's, it's, it's all roses. He's living his life like it's golden, okay? This white supremacist system works well for him because it's supposed to. I am not arguing with any white person about why people choose to take a knee in regards to police brutality. There's nothing to debate, okay? If you don't get it by now, you don't want to get it. And if you're committed to misunderstanding the situation, whatever, now, I had a convo. I did have a convo with my good brother, Michael Eric Dyson, this weekend. Drop on the clues bombs for Michael Eric Dyson. And he was explaining to me why you do have to teach white people. Because whether you know it or not, you are unintentionally teaching them. So you might as well be intentional about teaching them. So I, I've, I keep that in mind at times like this. And uh, I defer to one of our greatest teachers, Killer Mike. Uh, he was on with Jalen and Jacoby. And he had some, uh, some lessons Drew Brees, let's hear it. I would like to know what he considers disrespect because in when I travel and we perform in Germany, I never see a Nazi flag because Nazis are a part of history that Germany understands was a cancer and corrupt and they've rid of themselves of. Drew Brees plays in the deep south. As we travel through the south, we see the Confederate flag everywhere in the bounds. 
So if you're going to tell me about flag and disrespecting the American flag, the fact that you live in a region that they still find a rebel flag or the Confederate flag, and you don't adamantly speak against that on a regular basis, just tells me that you're protecting the way of life or what you think is right. The American flag stands for the First Amendment and the ability to say what you feel about situations. Now, you bear the brunt of that. You may get blackballed out of the NFL, but you have the right to. So if you support and you don't want to see the American flag disrespected, don't look at it on Budweiser shorts at picnics. Don't look at it at, it at bikini shots in Playboy. Don't look at it um, on your favorite album covers because you think that rock band is rocking for you. Be all the way with it. You're an intelligent football player, but that was an incredibly stupid thing to say. But I'm not going to be so burdened with the religion that has become Americanism, nationalism, that I forget that the flag represents the United States Constitution. And the United States Constitution was written by a bunch of people who chose to protest violently in order mm. to have a flag. So what you interpret as disrespect probably is the most patriotic thing happening today. Just something to think about. Something to think about, Drew Brees. Uh, if I had a lesson for Drew Brees, because I'm nowhere near as eloquent as Killer Mike, but if I had a lesson for Drew Brees, it would be a simple homework assignment, and it's this. If you don't understand why players kneel, if you don't understand why players take a knee, then go watch the video of that white devil cop kneeling, taking a knee on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. If you don't get it after that, well, we might just need you to shut the F up forever on all issues regarding race in this country and sit the rest of this season called life out. Please let Chelsea Handler give Drew Brees the biggest hee-haw. Hee-haw, hee-haw. That is way too much Dan Mayonnaise. I wonder if he's going to address these statements now. He has to. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm he sure that he'll have an enlightening moment and say that, you know, he, he was taught so much in the past 24 hours. Yeah, he has I'm to. sure he will. Yeah, Plus, he kneeled before. Yeah, so he did. I don't know if he was just doing that to be a good teammate or he actually knew what was going on. Who knows? All right. Well, thank you for that donkey today. Now, when we come back, ask ye 800-585-1051. If you need relationship advice or any type of advice, call ye now. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. What, 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 what you want know? Baby mama issues? Need some words of wisdom? Call up now for Ask Ye. 800-585-1051. The Breakfast Club. Come on. Need relationship advice? Need personal advice? Just need real advice. Call up now for Ask Ye. Keep it real. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. It's time for Ask Ye. Hello, who's this? Hey, good morning. Hey, what's up, hey, bro? What's the question for Ye? Hey, good morning, good morning. Hey, oh, man. First of all, I say black men don't cheat. Mm. That's oh, right. Man. All day. Put your oh, black fist in the air, oh, King. You already know, man. It's already up there. Man. Is it making me feel like you cheated? Oh, boy. No, my wife. Okay, my she wife. cheated on you. Yes, and it's been going on for far too long. I'm tired of it. Now I need some advice. I have a seven-year-old. And I told my mm -hmm. son that I'd never leave him. And now I'm in a bad predicament because I have to leave my wife because I'm tired of it. Well, you know, leaving your wife doesn't mean you're leaving your son. Right, right, right. But my son is, the, is like, he wants he want me to be right there with him, you know. He wants me to help him with his homework. He wants me to, to be there, you know, to you know, be the father figure, you know, not... You know, when I come home, you, work, and, Tyrone, you better still be a father figure and still help him with his homework. Oh, yes, indeed, I am. I, I am. I'm always a father figure. Always. I don't care if I'm in. I could be in New York, not New Orleans, and I still be the same father figure. 
Right. So yeah, how did you catch your wife cheating on you? How do you know? I hear my wife talking on the phone. I'm in the bathroom. You know, he was in the bathroom. She's in the next room and the walls are thin. And she's mm-hmm. on the phone. And I hear I hear her talking to her dude. And dude I hear dude say, well, what, when, um, you know, when do you go back to work? This is Memorial Day weekend. You know? Mm-hmm. And she said, Tuesday. And I'm like, Tuesday. And I hear her say, well, you know, be on time. Be on time. So I'm like, all right. So I get something to go to work, but I don't go to work. I go to the apartment complex right behind mine. I said, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to work late today just to see. A little stakeout. You know, and before, yeah, just just, just before just before this happened, like about two weeks before that, you know, a good friend of mine, you know, right now he's, he's you know, he's um, locked up right now for for doing something to somebody that, that um, you know, one of his partners was sleeping with his wife while he was at work, while he was off shoot. He come home, do that as well, and he, he killed her. Mm-hmm. Two, you know, oh. like two weeks before that, you know, he, he called me and gets in contact with me. So I'm talking to him. You know, that's God giving me a sign, like, thank you for you act, you know? Yeah, don't do nothing stupid. So, you don't want to end right, up in jail. So I did. So I did think, you know, I, I didn't even go in the house, but I saw I saw dude go in the house. Mm, you know, damn, so, that's tough in your own house. That's disrespectful. Yeah, that's disrespectful. You know, and my, my mind was like, well, you know, I, she just got to go. She just got to get out. So I'm what like, is it? So what happened? Did you confront them? Did you go back home? Did you call it? Like what happened? Yeah, I'm like, the dude supposed to be my boy too. Oh, it's your friend she was cheating with. Yeah. So you confronted cool. them? I confronted her. I, I I called him. I called him. I said, "Man, stay with me." The first thing he said was, "I was at work. He don't go to work till one o'clock, and this is at ten o'clock in the morning." Sheesh. So he, he just lying. Was, I was at work. <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, come on. Now, what did your wife say when you confronted her? She tried to say, like, I didn't see nothing. Like, I didn't hear nothing on the phone, you know. And, and, you know, she tried to make it seem like I'm crazy. And Mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to, I can't think no more. Right. So you're you're 100% over it. You ready to move on. I can't blame you. She not only did she cheat, she also lied. And she's trying to act like you a fool. Right. And she cheated in the house. Right. And I'm trying to tell you, you know, if you be honest, you know, maybe maybe I'm gonna chance to work it out. But she mm-hmm. and the first thing she says, ask the kids. I'm not putting the kids in my business. And I'll think Yeah, no, don't do that. That's a terrible advice. It sounds like you're very unhappy. You already know what you want to do. You want to leave this marriage. Your wife is still lying. I can't believe that you had the willpower to not go in the house after you saw him go in there, because I definitely would have been right back inside. But Kudos to you. Like you said, you had a sign from God after what happened with your friend who's in jail right now. So, you know, that took a lot. Yeah. And I commend you for yeah, that. You know, just yesterday, I told him, I said, look, now, now still, you, you still want to talk to this dude? But look, if, dude, if you talk to him and I hear you talking to him again, that's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. I, she was talking to him again. I told him, I said, you know, got to go. I went to grab the clothes. And the first thing she said was, I'm going to call the police. Wow. Keep in mind. At what we're going through right now in these days and times. That's know, a terrible thing to say to you. She is oh, white shit. Woman. Oh, sorry. I yeah, real, 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 real. You know, and Tyrone, listen. 
I gotta get out of here. You are Tyrone. Get your and get out. <laughs> That's all I have to say. So listen, I, I understand your kid is the most important thing to you in your life right now. So you need to make sure that you handle the I think you need to be the one to initiate everything so that no matter what happens, like she can't call the cops on you. You need to go ahead and file for divorce so that it'll be more favorable in your for the position that you're in right now. And yeah. Whatever you do, don't text or email or write anything or make any calls that are threatening in any way so that you can make sure that everything is straight and smooth with your custody of your child and all of that and get your own place or she has to get her own place, whatever y'all decide, but you do have to start making those steps to get out of there and make sure that your son knows this has nothing to do with him, that you love him very much. And you're right right. when you say keep the kids out of it. All right, you know, I sure thank y'all. And Charlamagne, you're the man, bro. I appreciate you, King. Blessings to you, man. All right, man. Take it easy. Y'all have a good one. Ask Yee, 800-585-1051. We got more when we come back. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Here's some real advice with Angela Yee. It's Ask Yee. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Angela Yee, Charlamagne Tha We are The Breakfast Club. We're in the middle of Ask Yee. Hello, who's this? How you doing? My name's Ty. What's up, bro? What's your question for you? Me and my girlfriend, we've been together about eight years now. Never been no problems in nothing like with family. But uh, since all this Black Lives Matter and stuff that's been going on, and I've been to protests, I've been to uh, about five protests in five days. Mm-hmm. And uh, we blocked up there at the interstate the other day. Mm-hmm. And we were met with guns and all that. So uh, my girlfriend's grandmother decided to give us a call. And she's, like, telling us how she's disappointed in us that we weren't following the curfew rules and we were on the highway blocking traffic, blah, blah, blah. Basically, you know, dismissing everything about, like, the cops coming on the highway, you know, putting guns in our face for no reason in a peaceful protest. And I'm just, like, I kind of got into it with her about it. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. like, should I continue to educate her about it or try to educate her about it? Or should I, like, step back and take caution because it's my girlfriend's grandma. I don't want to, you know, start anything with me and my girl because right. my grandma is too, you know, uneducated about this. What does your girlfriend think about this? Well, I mean, she's on my side. She's a sheriff, actually, and she's with me in every march. Like, you know what I'm saying? She's screaming black power. She's screaming no justice, no peace. She does the videos, and she's just... Her uh, grandmother's mad at her because she's like, oh, you can lose your job, blah, 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 blah. She's just like, well, I mean, yeah, you're right, I can, but it's like, I'm going to do what's right. Right. Well, listen, whenever people are trying to have a revolution, there's always people who aren't on board, right, who aren't going to be agreeing with the ways that you do things, and sometimes those people are in your own family. And from my own experience of having to deal with grandparents who were not like that at all, you know, sometimes, first of all, I would say this is more of your girlfriend's situation because it is her grandmother. So I don't want you and your girlfriend to have issues because of that. And so it feels like this might be something that she'll have to deal with and you have to follow her lead on that because it's her family. Yeah, because she's she's like a a real, like, family person. That's why, like, Mm -hmm. I wanted to... You know what I mean? Educate her even more, but I'm like, oh, I don't know, because I don't want, I don't want no trouble with me and my girl. Like, we haven't had trouble in a long time, and I don't want to, you know what I mean, start. Right. I think you and your girlfriend should have a conversation about how you guys collectively want to handle it. 
And if and I think you should follow her lead on that. Now, if this was your family, then I would say, you know, that's up to you how you want to handle it. You know your family. And I, I know it can be really frustrating to have these conversations with people who are set in their ways and aren't trying to hear what you have to say. So, you know, sometimes it is a losing battle to have those arguments and you still have to keep going out there and doing the work. But I don't want you and your girlfriend who are in accord right now to to have issues. So I would let my girlfriend take the lead on this, tell her, look, this is your family, your grandmother. However you want to handle it, I want to respect that. And I'm always down to have respectful conversations, but that is your grandmother. So it's kind of more on her. Yeah. I just feel like when I, when I go around now, it's going to be, like, different. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because right. when I first when I first met them, I don't talk as they would say, you know, black, quote unquote. I talk intelligent, and I and when I first oh met God. them, they told me like, "Oh, you're I not." I hate that. Black, I hate when people black, say that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. So I know when I go like to her house for the next family event or whatever, it's gonna be like really awkward and yeah. <laughs> So I'm just, I, I just feel like we need to have a conversation, but at the same time, mm-hmm. like you said, it's my girlfriend's family, so I'm, I'm just yeah. going to have to bite the bullet and see what she's going to do, I guess. She should have a conversation with them without you there also, you know, and try to have that conversation on her end. But like I said, Mm -hmm. you know, if that means I'm going to support my girlfriend, but I'm not really trying to engage in too much conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes it's really hard to try to force people to understand things that they don't want to understand. But we appreciate you, and you keep on doing what you have to do, and you and your girlfriend, and don't let things like this cause a wedge in your relationship. I even feel like if I need to just kind of fall back and stay away from them, I will, you know? But you can't ever force people to understand something. All you can do is engage in a conversation, and it can be too frustrating for you, too, at times. You've made the attempts. Yes, ma'am. Well, I definitely appreciate that. You just, like, made it, made it clear for me that I'm doing the right thing when it comes to this right now. Yeah, you did your part. Yes, ma'am. All right. Take care, Ty. I want to tell y'all three, thank you, because I work and I'm driving all day, and you guys help us get through the day, or at least the morning. Well, thank you so much, brother. Thank you for listening. You know, we family, so we appreciate you. Ask Ye, 800-585-1051. If you need relationship advice or any type of advice, you can call Ye. Now, we got rumors on the way. Yes, and we are going to talk about Trina and some remarks that she made on her show earlier this week. And uh, we'll tell you the back and forth that happened on social media as a result of it. All right, we'll get into that next. Keep it locked. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Listen up. It's just in. All the gossip. Gossip. The rumor report. Gossip. With Angela. Angela Yee. It's The Rumor Report. The Breakfast Club. So Trina was trending yesterday, and those are because of the comments that she made on her morning show when she was talking about the protesters in Miami. Now, she was upset about a friend's business being destroyed. Uh, She was upset about people dying and lives that have been taken away. And here's what she had to say about the protesters. They need to make the curfew at 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. 
That's how I feel. <laughs> no. Keep everybody off the streets, these animals off the streets that are running around in Miami-Dade County acting like they have escaped from a zoo. Lock them up at 5 p.m. so the streets could be nice and clean. That's how I feel. Talking about black lives. All right. The, the black that lives matter. that matter, right? The same black mm -hmm. lives that are taken from the hands of other black people. Those, are, those oh, matter too, huh? I, all y'all fake for the protests and the fake. Oh, we so concerned about George Floyd. Half of y'all are marching. I'm not even caring about this man. People are just doing First maliciously. Everybody, everybody wasn't looting and burning up stuff. Mm -hmm. When the police get behind you and the red and blue lights come on, you're not supposed to be scared. I'm never scared. I have die. my license and registration and insurance. I'm not scared. Okay, Trina. I don't, I don't agree with nothing you're saying, but I like the energy. Why, you like, why did you just say that like that? Like you was because <laughs> she, she got me am. I don't. She got me am. I want. I want to scream now. I got time today, but I got time today. Damn it! All right. Ahead, All G. right. And then she had a back and forth after that on social media with Masika. You know Masika from Love and Hip Hop, and you mm -hmm. know Masika was saying that she needed to come to the front of the congregation, basically. And she asked Kaya to come and drag this coon Trina back to the swamp before I get her. And then the two of them had a really nasty back and forth on social media. Trina told Masika, first of all, bum ass, find out who your baby daddy really is. And she told her, and you don't know what the F you are talking about. You think you can come up here and talk ish to me? You scumbag. You can't. How I'm ready and I'm not the one. And, and then Trina told her, first of all, that video was edited to what I said. Second of all, if you don't know the exact facts, STFU. If you want answers of clarification, say that. But you will not think you can come up here and talk ish about me because you can't. And things really spiraled after that. Masika told her, pull up. Okay, eyes are coming. Let me Jeez. book this flight so I can fight your dumb ass. Wait, Trina, you're acting like an animal. Don't you dare quote Rihanna or an actual activist who pulls up. Girl, the world clout wasn't even... The word clout wasn't even invented when you were relevant. Take your afternoon nap. And she also called her Aaron. You didn't like that all, part, right? Because you take an afternoon nap. I, I can hear it right now. I, Go ahead. I didn't like the afternoon nap part. Afternoon nap, na afternoon naps are great. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> I, I'm, I, was all of that in capital letters, G? Uh, no, there, but some of it was. Ah, oh, in my mind. Some it of it was, was in capitals. All right. But, yeah, it went on and on and on from there. And I, I'm going to be honest. I did not like seeing these two women going at it like that on social media with the world weighing in and speaking to each other in that way. Now, this morning, Trina did get on the radio and apologize. Here's what she said. Me and my trainers were, I'm automatically speaking for black people. I am the black people. Right. I am black people. That's who I'm speaking for. And I'm not going to say black people are animals. And this is why the day after when we spoke to the commissioner, I said to Trick, well, I learned a lot more about what's really happening. And it's more than just in the streets where people, you know, doing whatever. I, it's, it, it's the commissioners. It's the governors, the mayors, all these people. It's the chief of police. I had no idea of that. So now I'm understanding that. And these are the people that has to protect the cities. No, I don't like that energy, Trina. I want, I need that hand clapping. I got time today energy. I don't like that little docile apology energy. I don't like that. Well, she's okay? explaining herself. But She's explaining herself of what she meant. Sometimes when we get upset and we get mad, things come out of our mouth that we could have said differently. And maybe that's what she's clearing <laughs> up. Well, listen, apologies are always great. Uh, when you know you're wrong, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that wrong. But it's just backlash apologies. I don't like backlash apologies. I don't like apologies that when, you know, people have been coming at you, you're like, okay, I'm sorry now. Well, she did say she had conversations with local officials, and they did educate her on some things. So... 
You know, it is a I big thing to the... be able to apologize and admit that you were wrong and have these conversations with people. You know, I still don't really like the dragging of people like that on social media. And I, I am all for educating. I love Trina, though. I just don't know what she thought was wrong in that situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to know why people are protesting. You know, you have to know why they're angry, even when it comes to the, the looting. You may not like it, but, you know, you don't got to call them animals. It's not like they just out there doing that for no reason. It's a reaction to, you know, black people getting killed in this country at the hands of the police over yeah. and over. Yeah, but she's seen it from a different side, I'm sure. And, and that doesn't make it right. She's seen it from a side. Her, one of her best friends owns a, a clothing store or a store. And, you know, everything that she worked for, they pretty much took. So that's what I she was it. saying it from. She I was, get it. You know, I think she admitted she the was material, wrong. Yeah, I get it. But it's material things and property that can Absolutely. be fixed, replaced, insurance. I agree. You can't, you know, fix it. And there's a lot of things that led up to this. So... Uh, and this is an ongoing conversation because there's a lot of people who have felt like that. And I see a lot of people expressing themselves in that way and wondering, why are people protesting? Why are they doing this? Why are they going after Target? I see people saying this all day long, up and down the timeline. So and I will, an and listen, those buildings, will, those buildings will be back. Those black bodies won't. So mm-hmm. All right. Now, another person who actually had to uh, roll back what he said was Drew Brees. He made some comments about NFL player protests, and, and he was asked about whether or not he thinks uh, players will be kneeling during the national anthem when football resumes. And here's what Drew Brees said. I will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. Let me let me just tell you what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the, the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II. And is everything right with our country right now? No, we still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together. We can all do better and that we are all part of the solution. Well, of course, those comments caused a huge amount of backlash from other NFL players, players on his own team, from everybody, LeBron James, you know, Steven Jackson. Now Drew Brees has posted, first he posted a picture of a black and white hand interlocked. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he said, I would like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the black community, NFL community, and anyone I heard with my comments yesterday. And speaking with some of you, it breaks my heart to know the pain I have caused. So he said he wants to talk about respect, unity, and the solidarity centered around the American flag and the national anthem. And he made comments that were insensitive and completely missed the mark on the issues we are facing right now as a country. They lacked awareness and any type of compassion or empathy. Instead, those words have become divisive and hurtful. And I have misled people into believing that somehow I am an enemy. This could not be further from the truth and is not an accurate reflection of my heart or my character. And then he talks about where he stands with the black community and the fight against systemic racial injustice and police brutality and he said support the creation of real policy change that will make a difference he also com- condemned the years of oppression i mean this goes on so <laughs> i you know I, I gave drew Brees donkey i gave him donkey today today and donkey mm-hmm. today still stands i wonder if he's ever spoken out against a police officer killing a black man you know you know how they're so quick to be like i you shouldn't disrespect the flag yeah. and you know the, the flag means something i wonder if he's ever had that same energy for you know a police officer killing an unarmed black man has he ever jumped out there and said you shouldn't kill unarmed black people you shouldn't kill black people you know what i mean i wonder I but he, you know, he's 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 knelt with his teammates before, and just reading his comments, you see that you know some of the people that that follow him, uh, you know, you don't have to apologize. You were right. 
Don't apologize mm-hmm. now. That was just your opinion. You know, there's a lot of people that believe in, in what he said, which which I don't understand. I, I really don't. And and by the way, putting the black hand, shaking the white hand, that's the whitest apology in the world. Like, I, I would rather <laughs> yeah, you put vanilla is. ice cream, like put a vanilla ice cream and chocolate ice cream. I would rather you put vanilla ice cream and chocolate ice cream, man. My goodness. Like that head, that handshake looked crazy. All right. Well, we'll see what, what happens next. And that was very uh, well crafted as like more of a press release. Yeah, so. man. I, I just don't. And the black, the black and white handshake looked like the beginning of a perp ad. Stupid. All right. Well, I'm Angela Yee, and that is your rumor report. All right, thank you, Miss Yee. Revolt, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Everybody else, the People's Choice Mix is up next. Get your request in. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Hey, it's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We have a special guest on the line, Deanna Williams. Welcome. Good to be here with you, Envy, Angela, and Charlamagne. Now, Deanna Williams, I know this is an important time because we have so many things to talk about, but it is also Black Music Month, something that you actually were one of the architects of. So let's talk about that. Yes, Angela. In 1979, President Jimmy Carter hosted the first June Black Music Month event at the uh, request of the godfather, Clarence Avant, and some other prominent people in the industry. But the co-founders of this period of time are multi-Grammy award-winning songwriter, producer Kenny Gamble, broadcaster Ed Wright, myself, and members of the Black Music Association. And it's the 41st anniversary of June Black Music Month. And tell us why it's so important that people understand and respect Black music. Absolutely, Envy. It's very important because the music industry generated $20 billion last year. And when you look at the top of the charts right now, at the top of the 100 list, of uh, top selling records. Eight of those top 10 records are by black artists. You guys know that. Hip hop is the number one genre around the world, not just here in America, but all over the planet. So what does that tell us? Black people are making and selling a ton of music. And And it's important because it's our culture and it's indigenous to America. You talk about those billions of dollars, you know, but I think a lot of it is not trickled down to the artists. A lot of us is not trickled down to the producer. A lot of not it's not trickled down to the to the actual singer, which is very very sad. You know, people are making billions of dollars, and there are artists there that are still struggling, losing their homes, losing their cars, and that have sold millions and millions of records. That's the that's the horrible thing about that. That's been going on for a long time, which is why, as a proud member of the National Museum of African American Music, based in Nashville. We will be opening September 2020. It is an institution designed to highlight the contributions of black folks in this country from the 1600s on to now. But we are also fighting for artists to get more, not just artists, producers, engineers, music makers in general, to get a larger piece of this $20 billion. And Envy, back to your question about why is June Black Music Month important? Well, this is a multi-billion dollar business, one. We don't tend to think of our music that way, but it is. It's created by black people. It's co-opted and imitated by others. And we appreciate the compliments, but we wanna be able to economically participate in all of these billions of dollars. And I might add, it's the everyday man and woman who's enriching the coffers of those major record companies. We want our fair share. So the museum is a repository 
You have over seven galleries of beautiful information, artifacts about our contribution. Our contributions keep getting overlooked. Black folks, we were forced immigrants to this country and music is what we use to, to soothe us in this terrible um, you know, situation where we were taken from our original homes in Africa, brought over here and free labor for 400 years. Right. So what you hear in our music is passion, it's joy, it's pain, and it's our soundtrack every day. Think about how much music you consume. First of all, let me also just say that June Black Music Month is an opportunity to celebrate the three of you. You are promoters of the culture. Think about how much music you've played, Envy, in your career. Absolutely. Okay? You play music that can elevate the spirits of people, and we use it to get us through hard times, good times, turn up, fall in love, fall out of love. Music is integral to our survival in this country. You know what else, though, is fascinating to me? And we're going to, I want to talk more about the museum, and I do, of yes. course, want to talk more about Black Music Month how you actually got this legislation passed because I read about how you had never done anything like this before. And I know a lot of us right now feel really powerless as far as what can we do in our government to make things happen, you know, to create change. And so can you discuss how that actually happened? Because I don't think people understand the process of how you can initiate that and actually bring about some type of change. Oh, well, I appreciate you sharing that. Okay, so 1979, President Jimmy Carter hosted this big event that on the lawn of the White House. It had been done by the Country Music Association in years earlier, but then he said June is Black Music Month. This was at the encouragement of the Black Music Association. Well, fast forward to when President Clinton was in office. I wrote him and asked him to host a similar event. Well, the White House came back and said, well, we've gone through the archives and we see where President Carter declared June Black Music Month, but go get us some legislation, come back, President Clinton will sign a proclamation and we'll celebrate June Black Music Month officially from the perspective of the White House and Congress. So I put on my most comfortable pair of shoes and started walking office to office on Capitol Hill, knocking on people's doors, writing letters, we just really worked hard. And I don't want to take the credit alone because again, there were a group of people, but I was out in the front pushing. And finally the legislation, I wrote the draft for it. They put all the whereas, and it got passed. And then I was in and out of the White House, private meetings in the Oval Office with President Clinton, uh, President George Bush, on and on. And uh, that's basically the story of uh, June Black Music Month. But we're in our 41st year. Mm -hmm. And again, I want to stress that it's an economic engine. And it, it's our American soundtrack. It's how we get up in the morning. It's how we function through the day. And now as we see American cities and international capitals supporting our efforts here in America against police brutality, music has always been protest music has always been at the forefront of our endeavors here in this country, and it's no different right now. So as the co-chair of the Music Industry Relations Committee, and on behalf of Henry Hicks, who is the CEO of the museum, we're taking a strong stand in solidarity with people who are protesting around the world about the injustices of racism. Part of what the birth of black music in this country was born out of the cruelty of racism. Mm -hmm. So long answer to your short question, but that's how the legislation got passed and it has been celebrated by every American president since. 
And again, if people want to become part of our movement and support, they can do so by joining. Go to blackmusicmuseum.com. And happy birthday, June Black Music Month. 41 <laughs> years young. 41 years. And we're going to have you and Henry Hicks on as closer to when the museum is going to open so we can make sure we really ramp that up. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, well, thank so much you again. Yeah. All right. I support you. I thank you. All right. Thank you, Deanna Williams, for joining us. Now, Charlamagne, you got a positive note? Yes, man. For everybody out there that's, uh, you know, doing a little so we all don't have to do a lot, I just want you to know that act as if what you do makes a difference because it does. Breakfast club, bitches. Y'all finished or y'all done?